following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Thank you guys for that. The book of 1 Timothy, we're back in 1 Timothy this morning if you have a Bible. Back in 1 Timothy this morning, chapter 6, we're going to deal with the 15th and 16th verses of chapter 6 this morning. 1 Timothy, if you want to follow along um, with us, we're going to wrestle with verses 15 and 16. A um, couple housekeeping items really quick as you're turning there. I just want to give a shout out. I love to celebrate things. I want to celebrate this city group in uh, Somerville. There is a city group in Somerville that is absolutely getting after it. And so if you're part of that group or you know of that group, this, this group is just doing it. And so I just am, I love it. I'm thankful for it. So just uh, be aware of that. There are other city groups that are getting going off the ground. So we're going to celebrate some of the things they're going to be doing in the days ahead. So if you aren't in part of a city group, you need to get on it. So it's a fun uh, part of, uh, of the church mission and community and I'm thankful for that um, the second thing is I know Greg's communicated uh, via social media some throughout the week but he and I exchanged text messages this morning his uh, worship service there at the uh, base he is almost runs simultaneous with ours um, they do it on Sunday evenings there and so right now I think he's in the middle of his first uh, service there so um, we, uh, we talked a little bit this morning and uh, we're pray- I told him I was praying for him. He said he was praying for us. So I just want to share that with you. He's going to share some information over the days ahead, some pictures and videos and things of that nature. So we're going to make sure we get those things in front of you. So First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 through 16. Let's pray really quick and then we will jump off into what the Lord has in store for us. Our Father in heaven, hold me fast as I attempt to set forth some of the most important aspects of our, of our faith. Place your hand upon me in this congregation as I attempt to place Jesus in front of them, the person and work of Jesus Christ that we openly confess and that we will now hear proclaimed through the preaching of his name. I pray for Pastor Greg. I'm thankful that you've brought him this far in his journey. Place your hand of protection upon him in this very moment as you do, as we pray that you do with the others of this congregation that are deployed all around the world at this very moment. Surround Greg with the people and the tools necessary for him to accomplish the mission with truth, with diligence, and for purposes of your glory. Utilize him through your truth to transform lives for the glory of Christ Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. The title of this sermon this morning is A Portrait of God in a Hymn of Honor. A Portrait of God in a Hymn of Honor. Everybody ready? Hold on to your hat. The last two weeks we've been walking carefully through the final charge that the Apostle Paul has given his friend Timothy and co-minister here. We've been walking through the final charge. The last several verses of this epistle, this letter, they carry some very important implications for every, even anyone in the faith, not just pastors, but even Christians, all of us in this room that are children of God. As a child of God, although you have not been called to the professional ministry like Timothy, you still fall underneath some of the same banners of directive that he gives Timothy in this letter. You still fall in some of the same banners of directive that he gives us in this letter. You'll remember that Timothy and Paul are ministering in difficult situations. They're ministering in difficult climates, places that are void of the gospel. 
places that look like our city and even this community, places that do not look favorably upon the things of Christ Jesus, places that are full of false teachers or what we commonly refer to in the theological world as heresy, the $6 word heresy. Not only are these places void of the gospel, but they are areas of society that long, I've been telling you this for two weeks now, that long for you to be independent from God. False teaching, the false gospel, they appeal to your desires to be independent from God. That's what they do. Not only they, do they appeal to your desires to be independent from God, they, this is important. They most often, this is so important, they most often, the false gospel, false teachers, they most often distort the person and work of Jesus Christ. Any religion in the world that you vet against the Holy Scriptures, against the Bible, you, will, you can identify it most readily by what they do with Jesus Christ. You can identify it easily by what they do with Jesus Christ. If you're talking to someone and you're wondering whether they land, where they land in the pale of orthodoxy, that's a $6 word for what we believe the Bible teaches about Christianity, just the scriptures that we have in front of us, the canonized scriptures, and you're asking whether they're legitimately Christian, ask them simply, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with the person and work of Jesus? This closing section is no different here that we'll examine this morning. We've touched on this last week. On the, on, we touched last week on some of the person and work of Jesus Christ from the perspective that I told you that Jesus not only ushers in eternity by way of his work, but he also models how to live with an eternal perspective. You'll remember if you were here last week, we talked about living with an eternal perspective. It's a multidimensional work that Jesus unfolds in his life and earth on this ministry. There's so many levels uh, that Jesus operating at and he's moving simultaneously on so many different tracks. It's, it's just incredible. I often marvel, I often marvel when I read the Bible at the pace in which Jesus Christ moved and the accounts that we have of what he did. Even beyond his own deity and his own work at the cross, he was a brilliant man. We saw that some last week in his replies to the Pontius Pilate before his death. And then we get to verse 15 and 16 that we'll examine this morning. We get the verses 15 and 16 of this closed section of the letter and Paul does what he has in a very, in, a, in few places in this letter. He does it. This is typical Paul move here. In the closing directive, he just dives off and he closes off into this hymn or, or doxology. This is typical Paul. He gives directive. He often does this. He'll give directive and then he descends right into these hymns in order to close out statements. It's an incredible move on his part. So here in verses 15b, we're going to look at 15b through 16, Paul closes his charge to Timothy by weaving in this beautiful, it's really a beautiful multi-dimension, here's the title of your sermon, Portrait of God in a Hymn of Honor. He closes this out with a portrait of God in a hymn of honor. Paul closes the charge with a doxology. He closes it with a hymn. We've been examining the charge here. And through the hymn, he unfolds what I term this portrait of God for us as the reader. It's really beautiful. It's a combination of statements about Jesus Christ and God. And he essentially, he's painting this portrait of God here. And what we, what we know about God, doctrines of God. And in these sentences, he, he zigs and zags outside of, in and out of what the person and work of Jesus Christ is and God in general. It's really marvelous. I'm going to unfold it. I'm going to unpack it for us today. So if you have a Bible or up on the screens above me here, look at verse 15b here. We just came off of the, the good confession. He tells, he tells of uh, Jesus's, he gives Jesus as an example here. He tells Timothy to hold the command, to hold this charge uh, unsustained and free from reproach. And then look at what he does in 15 here. He says this, the apostle Paul writes this beautiful hymn. He says, he who is the blessed 
He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, and who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. There's several different angles we can take on this text this morning, but I'm going to break it down into two large chunks for you. My aim is to be a source of encouragement to you, and maybe in some ways this sermon can be a source of worship for you. Sometimes, look at me, sometimes it's important just to reflect upon the person of Jesus Christ and who God is. Sometimes it's enough just to reflect on it. It's so sweet. Sometimes the joy is just reflecting in who God is. The entirety of this passage is basically a hymn of honor, of adoration, and it unfolds this beautiful picture of God. And I'm going to try to leave it all on the table for you in the next 25 minutes. I'm going to try to leave it all on the table for you this morning because he deserves it. He's such a remarkable God. I love him with all my heart, and we are in desperate need of his strength. I am in desperate need of his strength. So Paul closes out this charge to Timothy on a few notes about Jesus Christ. I told you last week that Jesus Christ ushered in the kingdom of God. He taught us how to live with an eternal perspective. Jesus Christ ushered in the kingdom of God by way of the gospel, and he teaches us how to live that. We're to live as sojourners. This is not your home. If you're a child of God, you understand that you are not in your home. And so Paul closes this charge out to Timothy here, and he gives him three statements that pertain to Jesus Christ. He says that he's the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Here are some important distinctions for you folks to think carefully about. I'm going to say some careful things here. Listen to this. Generally, these three titles express the relationship between the creator and the creature. They express the relationship between the creator and the creature. Specifically, these titles are directly tied, tied, this is important for us, they are tied to the kingly office of Jesus Christ. These titles can easily be directed at the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. They can easily be directed at him as well. But for purposes this morning, I'm going to deal with them in the context of the second person of the, of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, because I think they fit squarely into the office, the kingly office that Jesus Christ holds. So what do you mean by the kingly office, Britt? What are you talking about? This old dead guy, I talk about old dead guys a lot. If you're new here, I talk about old dead people a lot. His name was Eusebius. He's known as the, he's a really, really old dead guy. He was one of the church fathers. He's known as the father of church history. You couldn't care less about that, but that gives me the warm and fuzzies. But anyway, he said that he was, he was really the one that first started thinking about what are the offices that Jesus holds. And he said he was really kind of the first person that started sketching this out. He said that Jesus holds three offices in the Bible in his life. He holds the office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. And then this other dead guy came along. His name was John Calvin. I can't find anybody before Calvin to start rocking about it. And in Calvin's magnum opus, the institutions of the institutions he, that he wrote, it's a marvelous, uh, just a, a, a commentary on a lot of things. It's really a a two-volume work on worship. He builds this idea out of the threefold office that Jesus has. This is during the Reformation. And the 50-cent tour of the entire thing, this is so important to think carefully about here, is that in the Bible, Jesus Christ, these are three important words. He fulfilled, he held during his time on earth, and he still holds, he still holds the three offices of prophet, priest, and king. Very particular wording there. 
He fulfilled, he held, and he still holds. So in other words, Jesus was prophet, priest, and king in eternity past before the foundation of the world during his time on earth. And he still holds these positions at the right hand of God the Father at this very moment. He still holds them. So what does it mean for him to be a prophet? Very simply, Jesus is fully God. His words on earth, his words on earth were literally the words of God. He made proclamations. He made statements about all sorts of things with his words and his deeds. He was a prophet. That's how he functioned at. These are built from the Old Testament. The second office he held was a priest. This is in reference to Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. His office of the high priest, you'll hear about that all in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a massive part of his, of, his, of his person and work here. There's a lot to that that I can't unpack this morning. Maybe I'll do three sermons on these one day, I don't know. But that's the second office he holds. And then the kingly office, Jesus was king, he is king. Which is what we will deal with today. Jesus Christ is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, the lord of lords. Note the capital letters in this text in front of you. Do you see that? King of kings, sovereigns capitalized, kings capitalized, Lord of lords is capitalized. The nature of these words and their capitalization, they're in reference to Jesus. They're in reference to Jesus. They're dealing with his power and his strength, his deity. They're dealing with him as God. It's a clear and powerful statement about Jesus' kingship on this earth. So why does it matter to me? Why does it matter about his power, his strength, or his deity? Why is that important for us? It means that Jesus has the supreme authority. He is co-essential. That's a big word for equal. He's equal with God. He has power over both the kingdoms of this earth and the kingdoms of the heavens. He is king of kings. That means that he is king here and king there. He is the Lord of lords, which means that he lords over all the lords beneath him. False teaching, it always tries to distort the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the hallmark of heresy. Any false teaching, any false gospel, at its core, it looks to distort the person and work of Jesus Christ from what scripture plainly unfolds. Paul knows this. Paul is dealing with false teachers. He knows this and then he just drops the hammer in these verses. He drops the hammer in these verses. So how does Jesus as as king, how does this impact my life? How does his kingly office impact my life? It impacts my life in a number of ways that I don't think we have the space or the time to address this morning. There's a number of ways his kingly office impacts our life. But one of the ways it impacts our life, and based upon the context of this letter, one of the ways it impacts our life is because it is, the, it is by way of his kingly office that we have hope. It is by way of his kingly office that we have hope. Let me explain. Jesus Christ's office as king, it assures the victory. It assures victory for us. It gives us hope for a victorious life over sin and over a world of false teachers. It does not give you hope for a victorious life to be rich. It does not give you hope for a victorious life that is void of suffering. It gives you hope for a victorious life over sin and death in the world of false teachers. Hope, this is so important. I wrote this statement. This is so important for you to understand. Hope is biblical confidence in the expect and expectations in the promises of God and his strength to fulfill them hope 
is biblical confidence in the expectations and promises of God and the strength of Him and His faithfulness. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Hope, as utilized in the Bible, is a confident expectation in the promises of God and the strength of His faithfulness. It's not wishing. Hope is not wishing. How can we live with hope for a victorious life over the sin and death of this world and the false teachers? It is because Jesus Christ in his position as king. In the context of this entire letter to 1 Timothy, Christ's kingly office guarantees the church into perpetuity. It's another big word. It guarantees our victory as children of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, famous passage in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 here, Ephesians chapter 2, we'll probably do 4, 5, maybe 5 through 7 here. These are the well-known words of the Apostle Paul, I can never look at this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4. It's verse 4 says, but God. I can never look at this passage. This is a footnote. I give you footnotes because that's what I do. I can never look at this passage and never think about the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a man of fire. He preached in the Westminster Chapel for almost 30 years in London. He was a man. He preached through World War II in London. Think about that for a minute. We have his sermon from this. He died in, he, he died, I think he died in the 80s, but we have, we have his sermon from this. And I can never read these without hearing is that thick Welch accent saying, but God. So it just, anyway, if you, anything you can read by Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones, read it. He, he was a fabulous man. Hear the words of the, of the Apostle Paul here. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And these are important words here. We're going to look at this particular here. Look at this very closely. He says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, look at me, not a little bit dead. (laughs) You were fully dead in your trespasses, not a little dead. You were fully dead. He made us alive. Look at this important word here. He made us alive together with Christ. Do you see that? You're united with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. And you were raised and he and, and raised and raised us up with him and seated us with him. Look at these words here. We're seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This passage is reflecting upon our victory with Christ Jesus. Do you see the language there? It's Jesus' exaltation. Jesus Christ was raised victoriously over death on the third day. It's why the bodily resurrection is so important. The literal bodily resurrection is so important. Don't ever water it down. Don't ever lose it. Don't ever walk away from it. Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead on the third day. He rose victoriously over sin. Never, ever, ever change your position on that. Never. Jesus literally rose victorious over death in the bodily resurrection. This is his exaltation. Do you hear the words of the Apostle Paul here? We share in his exaltation because we have entered into relationship with Jesus Christ by way of the gospel. This is why the gospel is so so important to us. There's so much hope in that. There's so much hope in that. There's so much joy in that. There's so much peace in that. This, This is how we function in a world that's fallen. This is in part how we function in a world that's fallen. Do you understand that we confront the challenges outside of the walls of this church or even sin within the church? We confront it in part with confidence and boldness because Christ has been exalted and we share in that. 
This is our hope in the promise of God. He raised Jesus victoriously over sin and he will do the same for his children. He will do the same for his children. As God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has all majesty, he has all worthiness, honor, glory, and power. There's no institution upon which Jesus could not, does not have full command. Governments rule not over him. Kingdoms of this earth have no counsel in his court. There are no laws of this earthly kingdom that reign over his authority. There is no power or political friendship or cooperations that are necessary for his work. He does not participate in negotiations. He is no respecter of man. He does as he pleases, when he pleases, by whomever he pleases. Money, wealth, political position, family, heritage, or last names, nor any other earthly credential carry any sway in his kingdom. He is independent from their necessity. He does not need me, and quite frankly, he does not need you. He who is the blessed, only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Jesus establishes and disposes kingdoms. He reigned victoriously over the Jewish political system. He exalts, he humbles, he is excellent, he is almighty. The 24th Psalm reminds us that the earth is the fullness of his glory, a glory that shines forth in his kingship whereby he is strong and mighty, he is everlasting and immense. This text is a resounding claim by the Apostle Paul that God Almighty in Jesus Christ, they have the power to rule over all of humans and it is beyond compare. He who is the blessed only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to him be eternal honor and eternal dominion. At the opposition of mankind and in the midst of mockery at the expense of his own life, in the midst of slander and ignorant recklessness and tyranny and on the brink of succumbing to the foretold death by the way of laws of sin and death, Jesus Christ willingly relented to the necessity of sacrifice and he lived victoriously over the death. On the third day, he reigns victoriously. He who is the blessed, the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to him be honor and eternal dominion. And there will come a day when Second Thessalonians tells us that he is revealed from the heavens with his mighty angels in flaming fire and he will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will inflict eternal destruction by the glory of his might and when he comes the saints will be glorified and all will know him will marvel. Thanks be to God we stand under a king. Thanks be to God we honor him. Thanks be to God we bow at his feet. This is the portrait of God in the person of Jesus Christ. This is our hymn of honor. To he who is the blessed, the only sovereign, the king of kings and the lord of lords, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Then Paul switches from statements of power in this verse. Look at this. He switches from back to 1 Timothy. He switches from statements about power and strength and deity, which we easily apply to God and Jesus Christ, to three statements about the overall nature of God. He says that God alone has immortality, he dwells in unapproachable light, and he is one whom no one has ever seen nor can see. He's telling us three things about the nature of God in this section here, in these final closing verses of this hymn. He's telling us that God is immortal. He's telling us that he, approach, he dwells in unapproachable light. He's telling him that no one has seen or can see him. Each of these statements, are they lean heavily on the language of the Old Testament. Remember, Paul was an Old Testament guy. <laughs> I'm an Old Testament guy. You should be Old Testament people. Paul knew that. He pulls on the New Testament all throughout his ministry, and, and we should as well. These statements about the nature of God, this is important. They say they tell us three things about God. They tell us that God is in they tell us a lot more about God, but for our purposes this morning, they tell us that God is in stark contrast to humanity. 
God is in stark contrast to humanity. God, this is number two. God is otherworldly. He has an otherworldly glory about him. God has a set-apartness about him. He's set apart from everyone. He's so pure that you cannot approach him only through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why we need the gospel. And number three, he has a uniqueness about him. He's in stark contrast to humanity. He has otherworldly glory. You cannot approach him. He, he, you cannot approach him. He's set apart. You can't approach him without the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has a purity about him. And he has a uniqueness about him that lands squarely at no one else. Remember, this is a doxology. In part, doxologies and hymns, they are a way in which the heart of the Christian is inflamed. We're dri- we should be driven to reflect upon God and his glory. Doxologies and hymns are in part, they're given in order to drive us away from ourselves and towards God. They drive us away from ourselves and towards God. We reflect upon God in his glory. This is why we worship here every morning. Every, every Sunday morning, this is why we worship here. Worship points us towards God, who is in stark contrast to us, who retains otherworldly glory. He has a uniqueness or a set-apartness that we don't have. He is not a created being. He was before there was. And last week I told you that he was the boundless I am. We saw that in the book of Isaiah. He's the boundless I am. And at the end of the charge to Timothy to oppose false teachers in a culture of chaos, Paul unfolds this hymn. To oppose the false claims of power and authority and hope. To oppose the pe- a people that are calling folks to live independent from God. You remember the statement that I've been giving you. False gospel, I say it over and over again, is calling you to be independent from God. That's what false gospels do. The God of scripture. Timothy is operating in a culture that is riveted by manipulation and power, ungodly authority and false gospel and a fake hope. He needs reflection upon the Almighty. He needs reflection upon Jesus Christ and the nature of God. We need this reflection. We need this reflection. We need this as a church. You want to know how to draw strength in the face of uncertainty? You want to know how to draw strength in the face of uncertainty or how you hold fast in the middle of extreme challenges or how you exhibit a resolve or experience peace with a looming storm? You want to know how you do that? You reflect upon the God of Scripture who is in stark contrast to humanity, who retains an otherworldly glory and is unique above all things. The one who promises, the one who upholds, the one who is in control for the good and the purity of the church. This is God Almighty. When I was preparing this, I told y'all I have a weird mind sometimes. When I was preparing this, I thought about, (laughs) I don't know how I'll get here. I thought about uh, the elder Bush, H.W. Bush, George H.W. Bush. He was the 43rd president of the United States, I think. I think that's right. He was the UN ambassador in New York City in the 70s. Um, anyway, there's in the 1970s, I don't even remember where I got this from. In the 1970s, there was an article written by New York Magazine. I don't, I'm not making any political statements about him. I'm just giving you a story. There was an article written in the New York City Magazine in a New York City Magazine that gave the top 10 most overrated people in, in New York City. And he made the list as the UN ambassador that year. I think there was an editor for a magazine and a couple other people that made the list as well. And I've always heard he had a pretty good sense of humor. And so he sent out these invitations. He, 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 was, gonna, he was like, I'm gonna have a party for everybody that made the list. And so he sends out these invitations to everybody that, that made the top 10 on all of it. And it said on the invitations, I thought this was pretty cool. It said on the invitations, it said, I'd like for you to attend my party so I can get a chance to look you over 
over and see why you're so overrated. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. And I thought about that when I read this. I, I don't know why I think this stuff, but I thought, I wonder if Paul put these verses in here to remind Timothy that God Almighty in his glory and his uniqueness still retains the exclusive ability to look over the false teachers and let them know why they're overrated. I wondered that. I wondered that. If, 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 I wonder if he put it in here to, to let Timothy know that God Almighty still re- retains the exclusive ability to look over the manipulators and the enemies of the church in order to explain to them why they're so overrated. I thought, I thought about it and I said, maybe, maybe he's looking at Timothy and saying, remember Timothy, the, the one you report to. Remember God Almighty. Remember the one you report to, Timothy, and never forget it. Never forget it. As God, Lord Jesus Christ, has all majesty and worthiness and honor and glory and power, there's no institution upon which Jesus did not have full control. Governments rule not over him. Kingdoms of this earth have no counsel in his court. There are no laws of this earthly kingdom that reign over his authority. There is no power, no political friendship, no cooperation that is necessary for his work. He does not participate in negotiations. He is no respecter of man. He does what he wishes, when he wishes, by the utilization of whomever he wishes. Money, wealth, political position, family, family, heritage, last names, nor any other earthly credential carry any sway in his kingdom. He is independent from their necessity. He does not need me, and quite frankly, he does not need you. He is the one, the blessed, the only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Jesus Christ establishes and disposes kingdoms. He reigned victoriously over the Jewish political system. He exalts, he humbles, he is excellent, he is almighty. The 24th Psalm reminds us that the earth is the fullness of his glory, a glory that shines forth in the, in the kingship whereby he is strong and mighty. He is everlasting and immense. This text is a resounding claim by the Apostle Paul that God's authority and power to rule over the human powers is beyond, uh, beyond compare. He who is the blessed, the only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, to him be honor and eternal dominion at the opposition of mankind and in the midst of mockery at the expense of at the, in, the, in the midst of a slander and ignorant recklessness and tyranny and on the brink of succumbing to the foretold death by way of the law of sin and death Jesus willingly relented victoriously over sin he willingly re- relented to the necessity of sacrifice and lived victoriously over death on the third day he reigns victoriously the one who is the blessed the only sovereign the king of kings the lord of lords to him be honor and eternal dominion and scripture tells us in second Thessalonians that there will come a day when he is revealed from the heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance upon those who do not know God and who did not obey the gospel he will inflict eternal destruction by the glory of his might when he comes the saints will be glorified and all that know him will marvel thanks be to God we stand under a king thanks be to God we honor him thanks be to God we bow at his feet this is a portrait of God in the person of Jesus Christ this is our hymn of honor this is our hymn of honor he who is the blessed, only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in approachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Eternal Father, we bow at your feet and we stand under the command of King Jesus. And so give us strength. Give us strength as a church. Give us strength as a people of of your kingdom to live under the authority of Jesus Christ.
for the good of the church, for the advancement of the kingdom, that we might know you and we might be found acceptable on the day when we will approach the eternal throne and we will ask God the Father to look look at us through Jesus Christ in the person and work that he was on this earth. We'll ask God to only look at us through Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so I pray that now in Jesus' name.